welcome to the Loop Podcast. My name is Fran, Global Head of Demand Gen at Cognizant, and I'm delighted to be joined by Helen, um, the Demand Gen Director at Proofpoint. So welcome, Helen. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you for um, having me here today. I'm excited to have a conversation with you in regards to demand generation and just share notes on what you're doing versus what we're doing as well. Amazing. Sounds great. Um, so let's get into it. Um, just to give the listeners some context, it would be great to um, give the listeners um, an idea of where the angle you're coming at um, in terms of demand gen um, and what does it mean at, at, at Proofpoint. Um, be great to kick off with that. Cool, yeah. So just in terms of an introduction to me then. So I'm Helen Gilby. I've been a B2B marketeer now for over 20 years. Um, I've always worked in the tech sector and I've been kind of really privileged to have um, the opportunity to work with some fantastic brands. So I've worked for companies such as Nortel, CA, Samsung and Cisco. And just over a year ago, I joined Proofpoint as the demand generation director um, for EMEA. So just to give the listeners a bit of context, because I'm sure that many of you may not have heard of um, Proofpoint, but Proofpoint are um, a cybersecurity organization founded back in 2002 by a former CTO of Netscape. So we're currently headquartered in Sunnyvale in California, and we have approximately about four and a half thousand employees globally. So... In 2012, um, Proofpoint became privately owned by Tom Bravo, and it was um, part of one of the largest go-private deals of its time. So exciting times for um, us as an organisation. And our mission as an organisation is to um, protect our customers, people, and defend their data from those cyber criminals that are out there. So cyber criminals primarily aim for three things. So they're looking for ransomware, data extortion and financial fraud. And they now follow basically a standard set of tactics, techniques and procedures known as the attack chain. So our approach as an organisation is pretty straightforward. So we want to disrupt the key steps attackers rely on basically to reach their goals. So even though you know the attack chain itself may be quite intricate and we don't want to go into the detail necessarily of that right now but there are three main chances that we have to disrupt that effectively so first of all stopping email attacks because we know that majority of attacks actually start with email and really stopping that initial compromise then if an attacker does happen to get into an organization we want to detect and prevent them from um, moving laterally within the organization and then finally um, we as an organization want to prevent data loss and insider threats from happening within our customers' organizations as well. So hopefully that will give you a bit of kind of background and context in terms of um, who we are um, at Proofpoint and you know the services that we offer to our organization as well or to our customers. Amazing. Thank you. Yeah, that's great. Um, super thorough um, and super interesting. Um, so just... Um, I think I just want to get into um, like a, a post that you put on um, recently around um, you posted on LinkedIn talking about how during like these uncertain economic times, we um, as marketers should really be doubling down and focusing on um, brand marketing. So what does um, brand marketing mean to you? And I guess what's uh, again, what, what led you to go down that sort of train of thought with that post? Yeah, because I think, you know, I mean, it's fairly well documented out there now, the the 95-5 rule. So I think, you know, 
in normal times, there are only like 5% of the target audience that, particularly in the tech space, that are in the market to buy at any given time. And then when you look at the, the kind of current climate that we're in at the moment, the economic downturn, obviously B2B buyers' purchasing behaviour is going to change, right? And a large number of purchases will either get delayed, um, you know, businesses are looking to cut costs and manage their margins, etc. Um, so ultimately, that is going to reduce the number of buyers in the market, um, you know, at this time. So that 5% of current buyers will actually shrink down to more like 1%. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the 95% of buyers in the future now swells to um, 99%. So it's really important that we're not just thinking about the here and now, we're thinking about, you know, the future as well and, and really making sure that our potential customer base are aware of who we are through what we're doing from a brand um, marketing perspective. Yeah. So I think also we know that B2B marketers spend, I think, roughly about 92% of their budget chasing that 5% of those customers. So, you know, on that kind of lead gen um, activity. And they're ignoring that really kind of important user base, um, you know, of future buyers. So, and I know, you know, a lot of companies, and I don't think we're alone in this, will overinvest in those short-term sales activation and underinvest in that brand building. And that brand building is just so incredibly um, important. Yeah. But it, I think also it's really important, or it's actually really difficult to convince the business to actually invest in brand, particularly in, you know, current economic times where you're so focused on kind of driving the pipeline, hitting the number, et cetera. Um, And, you know, I I would say that we're in the same boat as many organisations, you know, we're definitely feeling that at proof point as well. We have some clear kind of goals that we have to hit um, right now. But really what we're trying to do is not only think about the here and now, but think about those, you know, future buyers um, as well when we're doing our planning. So, when we're creating our plans, we're thinking about demand generation as a whole. And, you know, maybe describe this a bit later, but demand generation for me doesn't just mean lead generation. It really means kind of creating the awareness of your um, organization as well as, you know, um, and and doing that brand building um, as well so that ultimately you're fueling the engine for the future. So, if you only focus on that kind of um, lead generation bottom of the funnel, then, you know, in two to five years time, you're really going to start to struggle if you haven't done that kind of brand warming and brand building activity right now. So, yeah, even though, you know, to some degree, I have to kind of also look at how we can reinvest some of the budgets more towards um, brand. I think it's important that we all start to think about those future buyers. Yeah, most most definitely. And I like when you stepped into the role at, at Proofpoint. Was that a mindset that the business already had, or, or was that something that you had to um, drive forward? Essentially, like the whole investment in brand versus um, let's like the traditional like lead gen tactics. It's definitely something that um, needing to kind of drive forward. So um, we're very much focused more on lead generation rather than demand generation, and that is actually really one of my goals is like shifting us as a demand generation team from purely thinking about the bottom of the funnel to to thinking about, you know, um, the whole kind of funnel and, and really thinking about not just now, but thinking about the future as well. So yeah, it's, it's kind of a transition that we're going through at the moment, I would say. 
Yeah. And then for the, I guess for that transition to take place, the buy-in has to come, you have to get the buy-in from senior leadership, which Mm -hmm. is something that most marketers struggle with. And if I think back to past companies I worked at years ago, um, like at Capita, um, that was like a large, really large organization. And and I'm thinking about it, like how would I have gone about trying to get buy-in for this um, demand gen play versus like the ebook lead gen play? How do you have any advice on, how to um, navigate that as, as a new, if you're just stepping into a new role and you want to influence that change? I think it's really kind of focusing on the outcomes that you're trying to achieve. Um, so, you know, it's it's all well and good to try and kind of continue doing something in the same way that you've always done it. And quite often, you know, there are people that are, are averse to change because they're kind of, you know, they're focused in on, on the old way. So, I think it is really taking people on a journey with you. So being clear in terms of exactly what it is you're trying to do, being clear in terms of how what you're doing is going to provide a better kind of outcome and growth um, for the organisation as well. Um, And just being really open and transparent um, with that senior leadership in terms of what you're trying to to achieve and how you're going to go about um, doing it as well. So those would be kind of my main tips for you know anyone that's starting out yeah great on the path yeah it can be a tricky one to navigate but I think it's yeah. definitely possible and that yeah that transparency mm-hmm. definitely um I like when you the when you were saying about taking um them on a journey um yeah it does make sense because I think when we did it um we found it quite hard to communicate the results because they were a lot softer than the hard like numbers so instead of being like um I don't know we've got like a thousand new leads it was like we have um some really positive comments on um our linkedin ads and then we have some really nice emails that have said how valuable our content is and it's like how do you present that versus a thousand leads and it's actually really hard and to be able to for a while we represented both because we were like trying to sort of as you said like take leadership on a journey with us and we went as far as creating like videos to like demonstrate the impact and um yeah just really trying to drive that that story forward so I like how you've um yeah encompassed that it is definitely taking senior leadership on this journey which isn't always easy (laughs) no definitely not and I think you know to your point you know when I started in the organization the key focus was very much on MQs and it was all about hitting that MQ target and you know if you've hit the MQ target job done so it was very much more about a volume play rather than a value play so one of the things that we've tried to do is is shift you know very much the organization from thinking less about quantity more about quality in terms of what we're doing so it's not just about you know creating tens of thousands of mqs that can then be um followed up on so we focus now more on the pipeline rather than on the mq so if we miss that mq number it's not necessarily as critical as long as you're meeting or exceeding the the pipeline number. Mm-hmm. I think you still need to keep an eye on you know the MQ number because obviously you need to do that reverse waterfall calculation in terms of how many MQs do I need to be able to hit my pipeline goal. So you can't kind of take your eye off that ball completely, but at the same time, shouldn't just be obsessed by the number of MQs that you're generating because quite often to me that just means how much marketing budget do you have. 
Yes, most definitely. Yeah. How much is, where's, where can I find the cheapest leads and how can I yeah. make the most yeah. out of the budget? Yeah, we had a similar thing. Our, um, so Alice, our, our CMA, like I always tell the story, but um, we we were doing ebook lead gen. So we were, and we're doing pretty well. So we were getting something like a thousand MQLs a month, um, mm-hmm. sending them to sales. And um, then we had our inbound demo requests. So hand raises people coming mm-hmm. to our website saying we'd like a demo and, when um Alice was presenting back to leadership she's just split out the funnel and it was really funny just to like see it there like on paper so it we needed 500 of these leads from ebooks to get one close one deal whereas we needed 25 sort of high intent demo requests to get one close one deal mm-hmm. so you could see like where what would be like most efficient would be these like demo requests obviously to get us to a faster close one rate and then um, I think that was like one of the turning points here in our journey was actually demonstrating that and splitting out that funnel and just saying you know it might look great on paper that it's a thousand leads but most of them actually aren't really going anywhere um because there's such like low intent there yeah, and that is absolutely critical to us as well, is like really making sure we've got that, you know, that desired intent and someone is really kind of interested in wanting to kind of have a conversation with us by just, as you say, downloading an ebook does not mean somebody wants to, you know, buy now and they, you know, don't necessarily want a business development rep picking up the phone and, and trying to convince them to buy now. It's kind of really, you know, making sure that the journey is a multi-touch approach going right the way from um, demand gen all the way down to, um, you know, that lead gen piece. And I, I think I always use an example and going back, gosh, probably a number of years ago now where um, I actually worked um, on a content syndication campaign and the campaign was absolutely amazing. We got, you know, an ROI of something around 30 to 1 and, um, and it was doing fantastically well. We won awards. You know, everyone was super happy with um, what we were doing. And then all of a sudden, um, the campaign took a like complete 360 kind right. of change of direction in terms of performance and results. And we saw that you know we weren't we, the ROI dropped quite significantly. And we were looking at well, how is this happening? You know, we were doing so well, and actually we got to the point where our river had run dry. We had you know bashed that database with the partner so much that. We really exploited the database and, you know, people weren't even knowing who we were because we had focused so much on the bottom of the funnel that we hadn't thought about, you know, putting out the brand content, putting out the thought leadership content. Um, And so, you know, it was great lesson learned then as well. So every time, even now, when I embark on content syndication, for example, it has to be a full funnel approach. So it has to be more of a strategic partnership with a publisher rather than a we were only going to do, you know, um, ebook download. So, yeah, we have to kind of make sure that we've got content out there that really positions us as an organisation, shows the value, and then, you know, we retarget with um, specific kind of more detailed um, solution or product-related content. And when we did that, obviously then, you know, we, we saw improvements again in the results, but yeah. it was a real eye-opener at the time because we were sort of you know patting ourselves on the back saying we're doing such a good job <laughs> and then yeah the database is only so big no I yeah I've certainly been in that situation um many times in the past for sure I think it, you hit on a really good point in that people may have downloaded the content and consumed it but they actually still don't know who you are mm-hmm. so they can't even remember so I think like sometimes like you know sales rang up and 
they all, it was a, one of our cold calling ebooks that they downloaded and they remembered that, but they didn't remember Cognizant necessarily mm-hmm. because it was just, they just took from that what they wanted, they, they needed. And they didn't sort of see, um, probably just saw as more of an annoyance that they had to put their, their email address in. So it's definitely true. Um, that yeah, it's you. You don't. You not. You're not memorable just because you're reaching like thousands of people in a database. Um, that's definitely true. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's you've got to kind of, you know, it's a multi-step approach to um, really making someone aware of the the products and solutions that you are offering. Um, and yeah, the number of times in the past where you know I've had kind of a business development team saying, oh, well, we followed up on all these leads where it had just been an ebook download. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people don't even remember downloading the ebook and they have no clue who we are. And, you know, the quality of these leads is so poor. So that's why now, you know, when we talk about quality, it's more about a multi-touch approach before we're sending them those contacts over to our business development team for them to follow up on. We really need to make sure there is actual intent there Mm-hmm. rather than just single touch pick up the phone give them a call and you know really not converting yeah um and to your point earlier as well i think you know when you you look at kind of um those people that are actually coming to your website filling in a contact us form requesting a demo they are showing that they are really interested in you and so they are kind of the priority one kind of contacts that you should be um definitely following up on first yeah, most definitely. And just to, um, you've said a few times about this multi-touch approach, and I would love to just deep dive um, a little bit around what, the, how the team's set up at Proofpoint, so how the demand gen teams, um, how it works, how, what they work on, and, and what do these multi, like multi-touch campaigns look like at, at your organisation? Yeah, so I mean, we're a pretty small organisation, so um, we currently have within my um, team I have one person that looks after our um, execution of our global campaigns into the region I have one person that is looking after um, our marketing programs that kind of ladder up to the the campaigns overall and then I currently have a content um, marketing uh, manager then as well so when we're looking at for example our global campaigns global campaigns basically have a a life of a minimum of a year and we're looking to kind of constantly optimize campaign looking at what's performing what's not performing and within those campaigns again it's kind of you know full funnel strategy we're going from awareness right the way down through to um lead generation and depending on which product areas we're talking about as well you know we're, we're definitely more well known in the email security space than we are in the information protection space and so it's not a one-size-fits-all tr- strategy for every campaign. It's very much dependent on, you know, um, the, I suppose, um, what's the word I'm looking for? The, I can't think of the word I'm looking for. Um, how mature the market is for a particular um, campaign. So when we look at our email strategy for those sorts of campaigns, then, yes, we can be sort of, you know, more mid to bottom of the funnel where information protection has to has to be the generation of the awareness. So team in itself is then looking at planning you know the overall structure what campaigns and what what channels and what tactics that we need to implement to actually um execute our our global campaigns so when we talk about multi-channel you know it's not just a case of we only use social we only use search i think each channel has to work in combination with another channel so 
we're using things like direct display, we're using programmatic to actually drive the reach and recognition of our campaigns. And then we're retargeting users that have engaged with some of the top of the funnel thought leadership content then, um, you know, through maybe social retargeting on LinkedIn, um, you know, and, and using things like lead gen forms then to try and convert um, our contacts then into into kind of, you know, MQs for us. But we also, you know, so as a team, we go across both paid and owned channels as well. So we don't have a separate paid team, separate owned team. So we're looking in combination of, okay, what are we going to do using our own internal channels, whether that's organic search and email or whether, you know, we, we're looking to work with partners on um, more of a paid execution as well. And do you have, um, do you have like a, pay, a paid team that look after the, like the digital ads side of it or does that sit with demand gen also? So that sits with demand gen also. So, um, yeah, we are responsible for planning out all paid media activation. We work closely with paid media um, agency. And then we also um, work in partnership with our global digital team. So our global digital team will work on obviously um, our website and our web presence. But then they will also work on some of the paid um, channels. So, for example, search um, and paid social, whereas um, more complex kind of partnerships, strategic partnerships with specific publishers, then we'll we'll work with our media agency on, um, you know, following through on those sorts of activity. But yeah, that's all part of my team's remit to kind of plan out what we're doing from um, a paid perspective as well as, yeah, owned. Yeah, so the full, they sound like they're busy, a busy team, like they have a lot, a lot to do. Um yeah, I mean, it is, yeah, it's, it's a really busy team. And then on top of that, we then also look at our, you know, our programs. So we'll activate our, our campaigns. And we've just recently launched our new Break the Attack Chain um, campaign into the market um, a month or so ago. So now it's a case of, you know, we've got that in market. We're looking to constantly optimize the campaign, what's working, what's not working, swapping out channels that may not be, um, you know, working as well as we would expect. Um, and then also working with our, our global campaigns team to then also look at what new content is there available that we can then incorporate into the campaign to keep it kind of fresh during you know its life as well. So it isn't a case of just get the content and campaign live and then you know move on to the next thing. We're constantly looking to to iterate and make sure it's performing um, for the organisation. Yeah, we always say that here. Actually, don't set set and forget like get it out and then stop iterating because it can be that something as you said earlier something that's worked well in the past doesn't necessarily work well again um for whatever reason and I suppose I'm just thinking about it with with, with Proofpoint there's it's quite a variety of sort of products that you can mm-hmm. you can offer so when and it's a lot more of it I would say like a complex a complex sell so when you're thinking about this, when you're planning the global campaign, which is going to last for 12 months, what are the steps you take to make that decision on what that is actually going to be about? Is, is there an element of research involved there? Um, the senior, a senior leadership involved in that sort of what the topic is going to be? Just given that that campaign does run or that theme runs for, is it 12 months um, typically? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's an ideally for minimum 12 months. And yeah, so it's, um, you know, there are a lot of stakeholders involved in kind of that campaign design. And we start looking, you know, taking the audience, what the audience interested in looking at kind of market trends as well, looking at different trends for different countries, because, you know, again, it's like, 
what what we need in EMEA might be slightly different to what we need in the US, for example. Um, so in terms of yeah, the messaging, the campaign structure, the campaign framework, you know, the the senior leadership team kind of get together, work together on what that messaging um, concept is going to be for the year. Um, and then from a regional perspective, we then feed into that to say whether or not we feel it will resonate, you know, with it, with our um, audience as well. Um, mm-hmm. And so we need to try and kind of globally create a concept that, 80, you know, it's that 80-20 rule, 80% of it is going to be a globalised standard framework that can be executed in all of the regions. And then we have that 20% like local flavour where we might want to bring in a local case study or local piece of content to really ensure that, you know, the, the campaign is then resonating um, in each of the markets. But yeah, there's a lot of people involved in, you know, developing the campaign, the messaging, um, and then also how we activate that and get it out to market then as well. Yeah, that's true. I guess like, so you're like looking after EMEA and I guess you have the template that you've all agreed on or all the, all the key message, let's say, and then it's all about localizing that and adapting it for what works for you versus, because we, we market both into EMEA and, and also the US and it's amazing how different um, the messaging needs to be and, and, and how different things are received like within each region essentially. Yeah, definitely. Because I mean, you know, obviously, US and UK, we, we speak English, but even so culturally, there's a lot of differences that we have to kind of take into account in, in the campaign, and even the way that we say, you know, certain things. So it's really important that also as part of the kind of campaign development and execution that we are doing the AB testing. Um, and I, I think back to, again, probably showing my age, but think back to times when we would do, you know, direct mail. And since we've moved to more of a digital world, I see that, it feels like often there's less testing done than when we were in kind of, you know, times when we would do a lot more kind of direct mail and traditional mail. So, you know, you'd often test your messaging and your creative concept with a sample audience before you go full scale rollout into, you know, creating a campaign for multiple countries. But, you know, I think and not just proof point other organizations I've been in as well. When we think about digital, we think, oh, well, you know, it's easy to get it up there and then get it changed and and so we don't necessarily do that level of um testing and i think it's really important actually that we look back in time and we actually leverage some of the the kind of insights and, and learnings that we got from you know doing that kind of campaign testing previously and that we actually do test our messaging to make sure it resonates before we spend you know a huge amount of money on yeah. creating assets that in effect aren't necessarily going to work yeah, most definitely. I, I think um, it's more that immediacy, isn't it? So, mm-hmm. um, you know, we can get it, um, we can get it out as soon as possible. It's it's a lot quicker, I suppose, on digital channels. So maybe you don't always have as much thought as you used to when it was less channels and you almost had to get it right because there wasn't a lot of other choice. And maybe mm-hmm. now it's almost that notion that well, if it doesn't work here, we can just pick it up and move it over here and see if it works there instead. Um, yeah, and I think there is that pressure as well, um, particularly on a brand play, to, mm-hmm. to get things out quickly because you know you're not sort of going to see that immediate return straight away. Definitely. And I think, you know, you also need to think about what's happening in the moment and in the kind of, you know, the macro environment around you as well. So you want whatever you're doing from like a brand play to be relevant as well. You don't want to kind of come across as being tone deaf to what's going on in the environment around you. So 
also that kind of plays to the immediacy. And if you've got a campaign, for example, that is a year long campaign, you've then got to be able to have that agility and flexibility as well to be able to, you know, respond to some of the key moments, um, you know, that might have an impact on the campaign that you have out there um, in the marketplace as well. Yeah, most definitely. And on, on that, like when we when we are as a like when you're speaking with your team about like to this testing and, and making sure that the messaging's right, do you have um is there a process in place for that for each campaign? Like do you have a testing window or um I know it, it there is that need to constantly iterate, but is, is there sort of a set formula that you follow each time or does it is it just very dependent on on the campaign? Um, I think it is dependent on the campaign and the channel. We definitely do try and do, you know, some testing. And one of the things, you know, one of the goals I have is to kind of more formalize the testing processes that we have in place. Mm. So, for example, if we're going to run some form of email campaign, then absolutely we'll do an A-B test to see um, which which email subject line or which email copy, um, you know, is resonating better and giving us the, the greatest um, results and performance. Um, but yeah, I think ideally what I'd like to see is, is much more of a, as I said, a, a formal framework to ha- what we want to test so that we can then really identify what element is actually you know, making the difference. Because it could be a really tiny little element and change that is having a huge impact on that um, overall performance. But I think also, you know, sometimes when you are a small team and you do have to you know, get a campaign out to market, it's quite often one of the things that gets forgotten about is that a b testing so it's kind of you know taking the time to think taking the time to kind of plan up front say okay what tests do we want to run what's the hypothesis that we want to set and what are we trying to prove or disprove with um you know those tests that we want to run i think that's also a really important critical part of of um of the planning and then i think once you once you do have like the the long-term campaign in market part of the op optimization mindset is really about okay what do we want to test yeah then what are we going to change can't change everything all in one go but you know looking at the data that you have available to you and really kind of thinking right you know what exactly are we going to test here to try and improve and enhance um the overall performance yeah definitely and i'm i always think about this as the the team's grown at at cognizant and they've Mm -hmm. like started to build out the demand gen team over this past year and it's it sounds boring but um the thing that has been the big difference for me in um making an impact and not making an impact is actually process um Mm -hmm. so when we started we were we were a smaller team and we just wanted to kind of prove out this demand gen strategy and we wanted to get everything out there as quickly as possible sometimes there was that element of the set and forget because we'd moved on to the next thing um mm-hmm. and now i think it's almost like slowing down to speed up so getting all mm-hmm. the processes in place so that we um and we, we don't have a perfect um pro- testing process in place either which is why i was curious um it is really about just getting those things and checking those boxes and, and making sure that the team are very very aligned on what that process is um and it's not always like the most showy glamorous side of of marketing but um definitely the process has made all the difference to me over over sort of the past year um as the team's grown for sure no definitely and i think even when you think about kind of innovation and ways to innovate for me innovation isn't just you know innovating in the the latest kind of shiny new channel it is really innovating from a process standpoint as well so what can you do to really um rationalize some of the processes to help you to to get to market you know a lot quicker 
than you have done previously or or to you know to really make your kind of business more efficient and again going back to kind of the current climate and economic times you know where budgets obviously aren't necessarily growing for marketeers and they're often declining actually that process piece is really important because that's where you can you know reduce wastage get greater efficiencies and actually to some degree get a better performance with not necessarily getting any you know greater levels of budget so i think mm. it's really important to focus on the processes focus on the planning and look at you know spending time in that area because then the activation the execution and the optimization on the back of that will ultimately you know um perform a lot better if you've spent that valuable time you know on the on planning and, and the processes that you have um in place and i think it's also really important to make sure that you're reviewing those processes every quarter because again it's not like you know you create a process is set and it's done you have to be looking at constantly evolving the processes that you have in place and making sure that they're growing in in line with the way in which the, the business is growing as well yeah and as you say it's not necessarily the you know the most glamorous part of the no. role but actually it is a really important part you know of what we do as marketeers yeah and it shouldn't be forgotten yeah, no, most definitely. And I, I totally, um, I totally hear you on the uh, like realigning with the processes. So because the the climate's changing so much and, and businesses um, with like ours, we're still in this, this huge scale up phase. So the the OKRs and the goals are, are constantly changing, as is just the nature of a tech startup, essentially, and, and scale up business. And um, yeah, we have to constantly like realign our processes that feed back up into the business goals um mm-hmm. so i think if you are just sort of leaving them as they were then again you're going to get those inefficiencies um and you're not going to get the results and you're questioning why you're not getting the results that you were last quarter but likely it's because they're not you're not then realigned with the the business goal or the way in which the business is pivoting um so i think it's so important yeah definitely it's kind of that constant iteration i think a marketer's job is never done you know, it's not yeah. right. Finish now. Not for go. No. Um, <laughs> constant evolution. You know, it's and that that I think is part of you know the fun of being in the marketing function is that every day is different. Um, you know, and there's just so many kind of new experiences that you can have and new things that you can test and try out. So, yeah, I think that's that's what makes it an exciting kind of or makes it an exciting place to be. Yeah, most definitely. And I do. I just have one more question because I don't want to keep you all morning. But um, the um, I just wanted to deep dive a little bit on. We've spoken about the the team at Proofpoint and the the campaigns that you work on and how you kind of view um, like the length of those campaigns and what they include. When it comes to measuring, um, do you hold um, do you hold a pipeline target or do you still hold MQ target or both? Um, I was just interested in that. So we hold both. Yeah. So we hold an MQ target, we hold a pipeline target. So all eyes are definitely on the pipeline target. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's the, the one thing that, you know, we focus on. So when I have a team meeting every week, the first thing I do with my team is review where we're at compared to goal. Yeah. Um, because I think it's so important to make sure you're you're focused on that number overall as a team and that you're all striving for the same thing. So we check the pipeline number, but we also still look at the MQ number because as we said, you know, that M, you, you've got to do that reverse waterfall calculation to make sure that you are bringing in enough kind of um, contacts to be able to convert that um, into pipeline for the organization. 
But I think it's also then important that, yes, you have to focus on the MQ number, the pipeline number, but it's also really important from a, a kind of measurement standpoint that you are looking at the channel-specific metrics as well. So you are looking at, you know, your reach, your registrations, you're looking at engagement across all of the campaigns so that you can really then identify, okay, what is working, what's not working, and what is contributing to that pipeline goal and what isn't. And then you can obviously base your optimizations on those goals that you're seeing. And then I think the other key thing really from a measurement standpoint is how measurements are evolving. So obviously in the B2B world, we're not targeting one individual in terms of a a buyer it's a committee of people that you have to target so it's important that when we are looking at measurement we're looking at it in the context of an account overall and so i think you know as an industry we're seeing that shift from sort of marketing qualified leads and pipeline to looking at sort of um, marketing qualified accounts and the engagement right. within those accounts and who you know who is kind of um, interacting with the accounts and i think it's still early days as a measurement um, and I think we will start to see a lot of organisations moving, you know, much further down towards kind of tracking MQAs rather than MQLs um, moving forward. And, you know, we we'll definitely see that we're on that path of looking at things from more of an account perspective um, and looking at the value of an account rather than obviously the value of one individual kind of lead or contact that comes in. Yeah, that definitely mm -hmm. makes sense because we've noticed like that buying committee is only getting bigger. <laughs> it seems yeah. to be increasing all of the time. Um, and, and we have recently um, started to embark on a, an ABM type strategy, um, looking at the accounts, particularly when we're looking at bringing enterprise companies in, like how can we engage the full buying committee? Um, I haven't actually fleshed anything out yet, but my thoughts have been the same. I'd love to be able to report and say, this is how the accounts engaged over a five month period. And these are the types of job titles. And this is what the ops team are interested versus the sales team versus the marketing team. So, um, so yeah, it's definitely, I mean, I'm sure we'll get um, bombarded, bombarded with emails from some shiny new tech that will allow us to track something like this. But, um, but yeah. Definitely. And I think the important thing as well is like showing, you know, when you, we talk about kind of pipeline marketing contribution to the business, I think it's, really important to show the contribution and the touch points that we're having across the account so actually one of the things you know that we do from a qbr perspective now is we have an illustration of for a specific account we don't necessarily do it for every single account because it's quite yeah. intensive but we will look at okay for each account what are the touch points that have led to an opportunity being open and then after the opportunity has been open what are the kind of touch points that an account still has um with the organization and i think you know, quite often a salesperson just thinks that the, the call happens out in the blue, you know, and that there's been no, you know, and, you know, marketing hadn't had necessarily an influence within there. But actually, when you kind of map it out and show that illustration of actually within this account, here are all the different touch points that have happened, even prior to, you know, initial call and initial opportunity being created it's quite staggering to see, you know, all of those engagements and touch points by that entire committee mapped out onto, you know, one slide to see it in one view. I think yeah. that's a great illustration to have to show the value of what we do from a demand generation perspective. Absolutely. Yeah. And we've, I've just actually did this with one of our big closed outbound, attributed to outbound accounts, but mapped out the whole journey and obviously showed where where marketing had had that influence um fi final thought then before we go um i was talking about this last week 
What do you think about marketing and sales having a shared target? Um, do you think that could work? I definitely think it could work because I think if everyone's like going in the same direction and pulling in the same direction, then I think that can work because you then kind of operate as one team rather than two separated siloed teams. Yeah. And I think by, you know, sharing the sharing the um the goal i think you can also see that the contribution that marketing are making to that overall um sales pipeline goal then as well so we're not just seen as a, a cost center that are spending money on you know um colorful ads and creative that we're actually providing value to the business and to the organization yeah and you know as we know you know things have evolved so much now as part of the buying process that 80 percent of that research if not more probably now is done online before someone even engages in a in a conversation with the salesperson so it's also you know really important to have that connection and that close relationship with sales so that they're aware of the fact that what we're doing has a really massive influence on you know on them and their ability to to close business so having that one shared goal I think yeah would help enormously moving forward yeah, I was talking about it with, with somebody last week and I, I thought, actually, it's not. I mean, I don't know how I ever managed to make this happen, but I was just like, that would be more simple. That would be so, yeah. like, more simple and it wouldn't really matter, sort of. And then marketing wouldn't be so, you know, marketing wouldn't mind about sharing X, Y, and Z with sales and sales wouldn't mind and vice versa. But anyway, that's probably, I've probably opened a can of worms as I usually do and it's part of a much larger conversation. So maybe this is, that's a whole other episode, actually. So, um, cool. Well, thank you so much um, for joining us. Um, it's been great, really interesting chat. And um, and yeah, maybe we could deep dive the, um, I don't know, the sales and marketing relationship in a future episode. Yeah, no, definitely. It's been great having a conversation with you. And yeah, absolutely. would love to kind of continue the conversation and explore some other topics um, in the future as well. So yeah. well, thank you so much and see you soon.